If you would turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 6 to verse 9 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's a wonderful passage, and uh, it moves from rejoicing at the uh, start of verse 6 to rejoicing at the end of verse 8. So it kind of belongs together, even though we we examined a different part of it last week. I want to kind of take all of these verses together here this week. He speaks about greatly rejoicing in verse 6 because of the fact that our hope is connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ in verse 6. Three, that power of the risen Christ is, through the Holy Spirit given to us, a power that we possess. I mean, obviously not not in its totality, as Jesus does, but we don't need it in its totality. We have power from God himself, the creator of the universe. And that power, the power of God, is sufficient not only to take us through the difficulties and the trials of this life, and to untangle the things that are tangled in front of us, but also to place us in that glorious kingdom that is ahead for us, that we've been saved for. So that's one reason to rejoice. We also rejoice because we're kept by this power. Verse 5, kept by the power of God. And I'm so glad I'm not kept by my own power. I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't just start off my salvation, that he uh, assures that it's going to continue until the end. He that has begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ. Remember that. This is God's work. This is therefore not something that man can mess up. This salvation work of God is to overcome the curse, to overcome the fall, to overcome everything that we messed up in the first place. And it's not going to be thwarted by us. God knows that we've got sin natures still. God knows that we find it hard to obey, hard to believe sometimes. He knows that there are challenges that knock us sideways. And before we know it, we're in such a tiz that we're not sure which way we're going, this way or that way. And we, we uh, need time to orient ourselves back to the Word of God and back to the person of God who is watching over us. He knows our weakness. 
He knows our temptations. And the salvation that he's provided is a salvation that fits and suits and overcomes all of those difficulties. It properly fits the difficulties and the temptations that we all face. That's why we can rely on it. That's why we can rejoice in it. If that wasn't the case, if we didn't have these assurances, then there would be no reason for Peter to say, rejoice greatly with joy inexpressible. The kind of joy that you can't put into words. Now, this joy, of course, is not the same as happiness. Happiness was a very common kind of idea in the ancient world as it is in today's world. Happiness is this, uh, this view that everything is going the way that we want it to go. And we feel that we've got everything around us that we need and everything is kind of, all the buttons are turned on and everything that we want is right at our fingertips. But the problem with this idea of happiness is that in itself, by its own name, it tells you that it comes and it goes. It happens, and then it doesn't happen. Yes, you've heard of the word happenstance. The word happy comes from the same, uh, the same word. And so happiness is not something that's guaranteed to the Christian any more than it's guaranteed to anybody else. Happiness comes and happiness goes. And if you're looking for happiness, if that's the goal of your life, then you are looking for a will-o'-the-wisp. You are looking for something that, yes, you'll realize, it will, you'll come across it, but then it will go again. That's the nature of it. Because we change and circumstances change around us. And because circumstances change around us, not always for the better, our happiness, which is related to those things, also vanishes. So what is this joy then that's spoken of? This joy is not rooted in the present It's not rooted in now. It's not even rooted in the fact that you are now taken out of Adam and you're put into Christ, that you're justified and that you're not going to go to hell. What it's rooted in, according to Peter, and Peter agrees with Paul on this, who agrees with Jesus on this, is what you're saved to. What is coming up? You say, well, that just, that, I can't grasp that. I can't see that. That's right. You're going to have to live by faith, aren't you? Not by sight, but by faith. And when your faith grasps the truth of these promises, that's when joy comes. Because they become solid. They become reality. They become something that cannot be altered in your future. 
when you really get that, when I really grasp that, that is when joy appears. Naturally, as a result of that. I mean, a crude kind of a, uh, analogy to that is if you know that you're coming into a huge inheritance, let's say a year from now, that, what, that would kind of bring a little bit of a, you know, light and warmth into your life, wouldn't it? Especially if you've got all these bills that you've got to pay and you, you're grubbing by, you know, check by check. That would kind of put a smile on your face, wouldn't it? That you had that kind of news. Oh, yes, in a year's time, you're going to get a few million dollars deposited in your bank account. You know, you might even start, well, you know what, I'll get rid of my 1999 Honda Accord and I might update it. And you might start thinking about, oh, this is how I can, you know, maybe I can take that vacation to Hawaii or something that I've always wanted to do. Apart from, of course, with money and, uh, and all of this stuff comes, it, it always has a detrimental effect on us, but this this glory that's ahead, that's promised to us by God, this inheritance, it's not going to make us worse. It's not going to poison us. It's not going to change us for the worst, because it will be perfect. It will be incorruptible. It will be imperishable like us, thanks to the grace of God. Or thanks to the God of, uh, as he's described in verse 3, the God of abundant mercy. So, in this passage, he starts off by saying, yes, if you realize these things that have been spoken to uh, about us from verses 2 to verse 5, you'll rejoice. That's what the joy is. It's, it's not something that can be uh, got from anything that's in the world. It's something that's, that's from the next world, as it were, that's yours. So as we said, C.S. Lewis, he had this great idea of joy that even in your best moments when the sun's shining and you're where you want to be and you're with who you want to be and all of that, you're having a great time, there's this little melancholic sense that accompanies you that, yes, but there's something elusive that's beyond that which I can't get to. And sometimes in those moments we see that and there is this hope of attaining it. That's joy. That's what C.S. Lewis calls joy and I think he's pretty close to the mark when he speaks about it that way. This is what I think Peter is trying to get us to see. But In this present life, in this present world, verse 6, for a little while, if need be, 
you have been grieved by various trials. Now, the trials don't necessarily obliterate the joy like they would if it was happiness. But the trials, they're just things that we have to deal with in this life, in this world. We're dealing with a world that is cursed, uh, with bodies that feel pain and grow old and, you know, catch COVID and all of these other things. We're dealing with people around us who are imperfect, sometimes mean. We're dealing with corruption all around us. We're dealing sometimes with violence. We're dealing with sometimes memories of things that we shouldn't, but we do, dragging to our present. And we're dealing with a world that seems to be spiraling down like uh, it's been hit in a dogfight, ready to hit the ground with a big explosion. That's the world. That's where we're living. But it's not where we're living forever. It's not where we're going to spend the rest of eternity. It's for a short time, a little while, as it says in verse 6, that we have these various trials. And it's just talking about the trials of life. Later on, he'll be more specific, and uh, he talks about persecution. But these are just the problems of living in this world. Hey, okay, we're in the world, accept it. But this is not all there is to life. The life that Jesus speaks about, the life more abundant, that is what is ahead. That, verse 7, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold to God, not maybe to the world, certainly not to the world, sometimes not to us. Sometimes we'd rather have the gold. Short-sighted as that is. But to God, you don't care about the gold. Streets of heaven are made of gold. You walk on it. But your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, tested by these trials, tested by these difficulties, will produce something. Praise, honor, and glory for you. Praise, honor, and glory for you. Coming from the one on the throne. Because in the face of difficulty, you have not given up on God. In the face of trouble, you have still repaired to the word of God and you have sought guidance from it and wisdom from it. You wanted to hear what God says about this difficulty. You wanted to reassure yourself from God's word. And in that, you gave glory to God. Nobody else perhaps saw you, but God saw you. And God will reward you with praise, honor, and glory. When? At the revelation of Jesus Christ, when Jesus returns. 
I mean, it would be nice every time that we got through a trying time and we turned to God that we hear this little voice that we knew, knew came from heaven saying, well done, you know, honored servant and so on. Yeah, that would be encouraging, wouldn't it? Instead, we don't. We don't hear anything. But you will hear it. Because all of those times that you and I, in the midst of trials, in the midst of, of uh, difficult circumstances, we turned to God and we got strength from God and acknowledged that God is true and he is enough, God noted it. That's, he, he cares about your faith. He values your faith. It's much more precious than gold to him. So all of this happens at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we see him, when we see him in his power and in his glory, when he comes to take up the reins of this earth, when the United Nations and all of the politicians and all of the movers and shakers, the bankers and the, you know, whoever they are, all of these people are wiped away, flicked away. Satan, off. He's imprisoned. And Jesus takes up the reins, takes up the, the uh, government of this world. You know, Satan is trying to push this world into a one-world government, which is going to be hell on earth. Okay? We don't want a one-world government under the control of the Prince of the Power of the Air or the World Economic Forum. But there will be a one-world government, which we are looking forward to. That will be the government of Jesus Christ upon earth. But right now we don't see him, verse 8. Right now we live by faith. Then we're going to live by sight. Okay? Faith's not forever. Faith's for this world, this phase. It's what's needed to get through this life. Whom having not seen, you love. I know some people claim to have seen Jesus, whatever. I haven't. Most of you haven't. Okay? But do you love him? Do you love him still? Because you've read about what Jesus has done. You've read about the work on the cross that's been completed for you in your stead. You've exercised faith in him. He's given you his Holy Spirit. Your life has been changed for the better because of him. We love him and we want him to return. But we don't see him. And Peter says, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you see. It's because you don't see that you have to believe. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. It's glory-filled joy. And the two things belong together because it is that glory and the knowledge of that glory even though it's not spelled out for us as what it's going to be, we know it's going to be better than anything 
that can be given to us in this world, better than winning the lottery, which is, again, been a, a definite mixed blessing to a lot of people that won it, better than being given the Nobel Peace Prize, in which case you would uh, rub shoulders with uh, a bunch of people who never made any peace in the history of the world, better than any of the accolades that have been given to men or by men, glory from the God of glory. This idea of glory comes from the, the word that, that means weight. Okay, when Paul talks about the weight of glory, okay, he's, he's uh, using a play on words there. All glory has weight, okay? Which means it's substantial, which means it, uh, it's not a, a kind of an ethereal thing. It's a real, concrete thing. So you're rejoicing in something that really is ahead, okay? It's not, again, going to heaven and, and having a bunch of empty promises. It's actually seeing the, prom- the promises, seeing them, experiencing them, touching them, hearing them. So we don't see him, but we believe. We don't see him, but we love. Love and faith in a Christian life must go together. Do you see that? Because only if love and faith, love for the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done and what he's going to do, faith, of course, believing that he has done that and he's going to do greater things, these two things will bring with them a third, which is joy. How practical this is in our circumstances that we can reach outside of the mundane and by, by faith we can love Christ, by faith we can have this great anticipation of his return and of his reward and this brings with it inner joy. And then in verse 9, he talks about the the fact that we receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, a couple of things here. By souls, he doesn't just mean the spiritual aspect of man, okay? He doesn't just mean your spirit. Sometimes when the Bible uses the word soul, it means the whole person, and that's what Peter has in mind here. Because when Peter talks about salvation, as you can see from this passage, he's not talking about it as like uh, that God has forgiven you from your sins and so you're in good standing with God. He doesn't mean it that way. I mean, obviously, that's assumed. What he's talking about when he talks about salvation is when we get out of this life, get out of this body, that we say goodbye to sin and its voice and its uh, its um, effects upon us. 
we turn our backs on that forever and we enter into the completion, the fulfillment of salvation, the glorified life. That's what he's talking about. And you can see that from the context. When Jesus returns at the end of verse 7, we receive, verse 9, the end of our faith, which is sight, sound, touch, smell. These real things, in a word, glory. That's what he's referring to. Well, you don't need faith once you're you're actually in the middle of all of that, you see? So faith does have an end. Now, do you understand something here? This is why faith in this world, in this life, is so important. That's why God places such a high value on it. Because it's the only thing that connects you with what Christ has done for you. It's the only thing in this life that you can prove to God that you are one of his. And to the devil too, for other reasons. Faith connects you with this kind of salvation. Okay, we sit here and I know some of you are going through very difficult times. I'm aware of it. Some of you are going through, you know, you've got questions in your, in your life about, okay, where's God taking me? What's happening here? Uh, you know, what's the next few months going to bring? What's the next... Uh, year going to bring for me we've got concerns about loved ones we've got concerns about uh, you know what we're going to be doing or things in our family or whatever I mean if we, we could all make long lists but faith in God and faith in God's promises which which causes us to love Christ and therefore brings this inexpressible joy into our midst. That is something that the unseen Christ sees, sees in us. You see, it's not a two-way mirror. Or it is a two-way mirror. Yeah, it is a two-way mirror. What's a two-way mirror? Where you can see both sides? It's, we don't see from our side, but God does see. So whatever mirror that is. And faith tells you that. Faith tells you that God sees. And if he sees and he rewards and he's with you in this journey, this little while, as Peter describes it, then what's coming up will indeed be everything and more that we could hope for. I mean, everything and more that we could hope for 
when sin is stripped away, when illicit desire is taken out of the way, greed and you know awful things like that are just taken out of the way. Envy, covetousness, and so on. Just think about that going into eternity without any of those things meeting this kingdom of peace and love that you're going to dwell in forever and then seeing the reward and the glory that God has for you because you believed. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we pray and we acknowledge and we we uh, lift our minds and our hearts to you and we ask for your forgiveness for those times when we have neglected to think about these things, to ponder them. You know that the Bible places a great deal of emphasis on us thinking about what's ahead, having a right perspective for the present by trying to see things from the future. And we see things from the future, Lord, because you've promised things to us, and we can stand on those promises, and we can reach out for those promises. And we can bring them into the present to assure us in whatever difficulties we are at at present having to deal with. And so we thank you, Lord, that we have many things to rejoice over. Help us, Lord, not to just be those that rejoice when we finally cross the line. Help us to be those that rejoice now as we stand on your promises and as we contemplate our rewards. Thank you in Jesus' name. Well, since uh, everybody's out but me, it's kind of a one-man show. So I'm going to also close with a a benediction. And uh, this is from the Psalms again, Psalm 34. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned.